there are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can absolutely light up your funnels. Let's go. This is the Revenue Driven CMO. I'm your host, Chris Mechanic. Join me as I uncover the secrets of the world's most elite CMOs marketing leaders. The Revenue Driven CMO is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Hey, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, Web Mechanics will do 10 to 20 hours of work for you for free. Literally no sales calls, no BS. Just give them a problem and they will put a team to work for you for free for 10 to 20 hours. Even if you're already a client, if you're struggling with demand gen, lead gen, SEO, SEM, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, conversion optimization. If you can't get Facebook or meta ads to work for the life of you, or you can't figure out attribution, web mechanics will take a good hard look at whatever problem you give them, whatever programs you put in front of them, and they will give you an objective informed opinion, plus some advice from 10 to 20 hours of senior level attention. So I would suggest take them up on this offer. It's ridiculous. Go to revenuedrivencmo.com slash free fill out the two-minute form and you will not regret it literally zero downside unlimited potential for growth so do yourself a favor revenue driven cmo.com slash free no hyphens no punctuations you will be happy about that decision hello everybody welcome to another exciting episode of revenue driven cmo i'm your main man chris mechanic with a really exciting guest i'm uh, i feel so fortunate to be speaking with him uh, he's not a CMO technically. He's actually CEO and founder. He's a lawyer uh, by by training originally, turned serial entrepreneur, um, and currently co-founder at Agora Pulse, which is the leading social media automation uh, tool on the market today. I'm really excited to learn more about that. Um, but uh, think about scheduling posts, think about listening, think about ROI analysis um, across all of your social media platforms, um, built appropriately for, for SMBs all the way up to the enterprise. It's an awesome tool. I just signed up for a free trial myself. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Emmerich Arnold. How are you, Emmerich? Thanks. I'm, 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 I'm thrilled to be here, uh, Chris. Thank you for inviting me. You started many businesses. You're a really talented marketer. Like when you, when you think about the the tools and the techniques in your marketing, in your personal marketing playbook, you know, like the first few things that you do, say when you start a new SaaS, mm. um, is there anything that you feel like is a secret that jumps out? It's not. It's not the secret to most people, um, but it's still for some reason something that people don't do enough of, or or at all. It's spent an insane amount of time asking questions to your potential customers and an insane amount of time, more than reasonable, digging for what is it that they really need. And as you do so, learn how to do it. So you, 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 you uncover the difference between the wants and the needs, something I've learned in product discovery. The wants and the needs are two very different beasts. Yeah. And if you don't do your job right, you're gonna get the wants, but not the needs, and the needs are what you you, you are out to solve for. <laughs> interesting. All right, I like that. That's that's a really interesting play. Give me an example of that. Like either, I mean, it it could be uh, with regard to Agora Pulse, or it could be in a, in a previous lifetime. But can you think of an example where you were asking? an almost ridiculous number of questions and then finally got to the truth of what they needed. And it was like, yeah, there, there's an overall, um, rule when you are doing customer discovery, when you are doing discovery, whatever it is intended for ever intended for to improve your product or to sell as if you're a salesperson or an SDR discovery is getting to the real reason why someone needs you or may need you. And, um, uh, most of the time, the problem is people do not um, know the reason themselves. They, it's yeah. it's hidden in there somewhere, but they cannot express it to you in the way it should be expressed. Yeah, and and uh, you are you have the task of figuring this out. 
And in order to figure to figure it out, you have to do something that is not intuitive, and you have to learn. That's that's a that's a skill you have to learn, and that skill usually is about making them tell the story of how they did something in the past, or how they tried to solve something in the past that they need solving, mm-hmm. and make you describe it to you in a way that they you send them back to that moment in the past and say okay how 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 did you feel at that time like why did you do it this way um you know oh i asked my brother if i was like okay why why did you choose your brother like, and not someone else and, and and we challenge that's a weird question to ask but you you really have to go into the very bottom of why they do things the way they do it to mm-hmm. understand the need and if you don't do that then you're all you're going to get is the want and the want is, you know, I want, uh, I want reports on my social media. Oh, okay, that's interesting. You know, okay, tell me the last time you 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 search for answers in the social media reporting. Tell me about that. How? Where did you go? What did you do? What did you look for? And and then and and then from that conversation, you keep asking, but why did you do it this way? You know, what was missing at the time? Instead of telling them. What kind of report do you need? Because if you do that, you're going to have the want, and you're not going to you're not going to go for the need. And um, it, it's quite interesting. Let's just to take the I need better reporting on my social media. Okay, yeah. what does that look like? Uh, what kind of report do you need? What kind of report do you, do you want me to give you? Or what kind of graph do you? Need? That's going to give you the want. But if you want the need, which is I need to shine with my boss, I need yeah. to prove to my customer that my fee is 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 justified or that kind of which which is kind of unrelated to the report itself but it's like the 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 consequence of why you need it (laughs) like you need it for something not for it in itself but for the consequence of it or the impact of it then you're going to start building the reporting differently you go okay so does your boss care about that they don't they just want to see x and y okay then we're gonna we're gonna have something very focused on x and y because that's what we know your boss will understand and um uh you know my boss doesn't get engagement okay engagement will go in the back in the bottom of the report what do they care about they care about traffic okay we'll put traffic up so like it's that's how you're going to be able to articulate the how how the solution you build for them look like and behave and in in a way that makes sense to them because suddenly they say oh that's exactly what i needed but they didn't they couldn't express it to you they they had to go through i think i want this i think i need this but it's it's because based on my limited knowledge of your product and your world and your and your expertise this is what i can see but obviously it's usually not very elaborated because they don't know what you know as much as you do so you have to make them talk about how they do it to go deep into uh, the reason why they do it this way and the reason why it's broken yeah no that's that's really insightful it's almost like it reminds me of a psychologist almost you know it's, yeah like, it's borderline psychology <laughs> like psychotherapist you know yeah. you go to them and you're like i'm sad or i'm depressed mm-hmm. and they're, they're gonna ask a hundred why questions and a hundred detail questions to get to really you know the underlying piece mm-hmm. you know there's this book uh i'm not the best salesperson in the world so i did this sales training with miller hyman a uh, long long time ago um but they have this uh, this uh, thing that they talk about a concept. So it's similar to I think you know the underlying need, and and they coach salespeople to really ask those questions. Hmm. But it can be awkward at times, yeah. you know. Like, why did you go to your brother? Like, do yeah. you ever get a response like, "What kind of question is that?" No, no. People are happy. No, because you you they understand that you're digging around an event, something you did, something they did, and you're trying to understand how they did it, the way they did it, and why they did it this way. So they know it's relating it's relating to that that thing that they did, and it hasn't and, and you're not interested by anything else. So that you they know you're not trying to be awkward for the sake of being awkward. You're asking okay. the question that that goes around the stuff that they did. To, to better understand why they did it this way and how you can help them solve it and do it better next time. So like it's it never feels like it's out of place. It's it's because we know where we're here. We know we're here to talk about this problem and how you solve it today and how can I can help you solve it better in, in in the future. Right. No, it never never happened. Like it, it never felt awkward. 
it, it so, could feel I, inquisitive uh, because you ask, you're constantly asking a lot of questions, and at some point it's like, you know, I, I want solutions, I want answers from you, not questions. But it's funny. Uh, uh, I, I thought in the early days that it may create awkward situation of all the, uh, me and them, my, my salespeople asking questions and questions. But actually, what I learn is people like answering questions. <laughs> <laughs> about what they do. Um, yeah. I don't know, maybe it's because they talk about themselves because they talk about something they did and, and then they know them very well. So they like talking about it or I don't know. I don't know what that is. That, that goes in the psychology stuff that I don't, I don't master entirely. <laughs> People do like talking about themselves in general. How did you learn this? Was it this just come to you intuitively when you had your first startup or did you read about? Oh, this? like the, the how to ask questions? The how to ask questions and okay. the difference between wants and needs. I totally read about it. Yeah, you read about it. Yeah, yeah. There are there are a couple of books on customer discovery that are that are uh, that are good reading. Um, I think one is just called Customer Discovery. <laughs> so I think that's the title of the book. Yeah. Uh, if you go search for Customer Discovery on, on Amazon, you're probably going to find it. And there's there was there was another one that I like uh, called I think it's called the Mum Test. Uh, I'm not 100 sure, but you can you can search for it, and, and if it brings a result, it's probably the one. Uh, like like go in and and make and ask them questions, uh, and and like if they were your mom, I either don't understand anything about your world and your tech and your 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 product and everything. Yeah. Um, this one, this one was pretty good about asking the right question, and just you know, very. If you don't, you don't have time for any of that. The the, the main thing behind all of these discovery framework is don't don't make don't ask them what they think about something. Make them tell the story of how they do it today, and mm. then dig into that story. Why did you do it this way? Why that way? Why didn't did, you know? Did you look at different alternatives? Oh, interesting. Which one? Tell me more about those. And that's basically going digging digging behind how you do the how you make that how you handle that problem today. Um, yeah. It's much easier for people to describe what they do than to try to think about an innovative solution to solve the problem to solving the problem they're trying to solve. Yeah. So are you familiar with the quote from Henry Ford, where he essentially says something to the tune of like, like, I don't care really to ask customers what they want because if if i had asked customers what they want they would have told me a faster horse yeah, yeah. it's a very famous quote yeah and i think steve jobs said something similar to that where you know like he came out with the iphone like nobody was asking for an iphone at that time so how do you do you subscribe to that quote do you feel like the like your technique and that quote are kind of along the same lines in a way or do those two pieces of advice contradict each other? No, it's it, it's kind of the same. When you are trying to to invent innovative solutions to existing problems, um, you're the inventor. They are not. I mean, your customers are not. So you're the visionary with an, with a with a vision for how you want to solve the problem, and uh, you you have to, in order to fine-tune your vision you have to understand how this problem is solved today that will make your vision go from good to great and yeah. um, um it's it's absolutely not by expecting them to tell you oh what is your vision because <laughs> they're not visionaries they're not they're not in the world to solve this problem for you like they're not going to have the vision they're just going to be able to express this is the problem this is all solve it today this is why it's painful that they can do for you but like hey tell me how you would you how you would solve that that's just not their job <laughs> this is yours <laughs> yeah right right that's true so uh in a SaaS world or in a product-based world where you sort of have to create you know some standard versions of a product how do you how do you deal with a scenario where you get a, a wide variety of different responses? Like you can't solve for everybody's needs. How do you no. sort of balance? Um, yeah, yeah, yes and no. Look at CRM or email marketing. I, I, you know, you can argue that Salesforce is solving for every people, everybody who needs a CRM. In a way that may not be ideal for everybody, but you know, a CRM is a CRM. It's <laughs> at the end of the day, yeah. 
there will be just differences in how complex it is and how how le what level of complexity it can handle or um uh, how you know how do you need a RevOps team at, at 150k a year uh, per person to 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 make it work or do you are you a 10 people small business you cannot have a RevOps person at 10 150k a year just to run your CRM so but still it could te theoretically work for everybody right it's just that Smaller business will need a, a, simple, a simplified, simpler CRM. Uh, people in the e-commerce world will, will need a CRM that's better connected with their Shopify or their uh, logistic system and so on and so forth. So at the end of the day, you can, um, you can be theoretically a solution for everybody, but in practice, you, you're going to have to focus on certain verticals, certain use cases, maybe certain geographies that are where you are the best uh, or at least among the best to solve the problem because otherwise yeah. you're going to end up nowhere if you're if you're average for everybody and for everything and and, and you're in positioning yourself ideally product wise um for a specific type of customer then business is going to be difficult <laughs> eventually yeah yeah no absolutely so to summarize that it's a lot of your success has come from not just asking customers questions, but asking them almost a ridiculous number of questions and not so much to uncover their wants, which they're going to come to you and express their wants, right? Yeah. But mm -hmm. you have to really dig deeper to, to uncover their, their needs. And that's where the real money is, is uncovering those, those needs versus those wants. And one way to do that one actionable way to do that that you mentioned was by asking them essentially how have you done this in the past like mm -hmm. take you know take me to that world how 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 did you go about uh addressing this and then whatever they're saying there then dig you know dig on deep dig deeper from there like why mm -hmm. google analytics why have you been using google analytics mm -hmm. yeah so um yeah it's a it's a super high level summary. We're not going to lie. You know there are a lot of intricacies to that, but it's it's the it's the framework. It's it's the the guiding principle. Yeah. So how do you scale that across your org? It sounds well, like you, your salespeople doing that as well. Yeah, you train people. <laughs> yeah. You 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 initially train people yourself, and and when you start having um, a good quality, you know, good enough team as as a as a founder. Uh, you make your team train them, or you make your team create the the training framework. Um, and you know, in the early days, it's messy and bumpy because the training is not perfect. It, I sometimes it's not even there. And as you mature and grow and get bigger, you know, you have you have specific people who are here to train people. Like in sales, you have a sales enablement function that that's all focus and purpose is to onboard new people and train them and and coach them to get better and to become the best salespeople they can become. And uh, you have the same for support and you have the same for um, every job in the company. So you got, you have a framework in place. So your, your people who are in place or who currently exist in the organization can onboard and train the new people who are joining. So they, they gain, they quickly gain the level of knowledge that they need to gain to be able to do the thing that needs to be done, especially when it comes to innovating in the product or to selling the product. Yeah. And then how do you handle like the response data as, as a founder or an executive leader. So you've trained your team up basically to ask these deeply insightful questions. They're recording the answers somewhere. I'm not sure if it's CRM or, you know, where it is, but how do you then go about like accessing that data stream in a way that, uh, that, you know, is, um, or how do you make that data stream accessible a, and then like, once you get that raw unstructured data back like what do you do with it to make it useful that's an excellent question uh first of all it's a challenge it's a real challenge when we were a little smaller when we were like 110 120 people i'd say two years ago uh, we were not doing a good job at that i knew we had to do it and i knew the data was coming in was being recorded in gong and you know whatever call recording tool you're using and um uh, but we it was not stored anywhere in a structured manner that would allow us to analyze it and and prioritize based on what we learned from that yeah uh, so since then what we've done is we we purchased uh, a software uh, the software we bought is called harvester and um 
everything is now connected to that piece of software. So every time a salesperson is getting a feedback from a customer for a prospect, we lose. Why we lose them? It goes into Harvester. When we win, it goes into Harvester. When a customer churn and cancel their subscription, the reason why is captured and goes into Harvester. When customer discovery is being done by the product team, it goes into Harvester. And in Harvester, it's going to be categorized by size of customer, vertical of customer, um, you know, type of customer, um, money paid by the customer, revenue of the customer, like or expected revenue of the prospect, and so on and so forth. And and the the software is helping us say, okay, what do we need to build for the retail industry? Bam, bam, bam. Here it is, because we've spent months gathering that data. So for months, wow. you have to educate your salespeople who are like, oh, I don't want to enter data into yet another system. So you have to plug the system into their CRM. So they don't have to move away from their CRM and they can enter the feedback that they heard in the, directly in the CRM into Harvester. So like, it's a lot of education and, and, and um, uh, incentives and punishments if you don't do it. <laughs> Yeah. To make sure that the data is being captured by the people who are in the front line, who are actually, you know, receiving it uh, on the receiving end, and then it's being it's being entered right in the system, so it can be interpreted by the product team, and then we can build the right thing. So, and then we even have one person in the in the product team who is responsible and accountable for that to to make sure to to do the three sixty work with all the customer facing teams, customer success, customer support, SDR, sales and product and, and do that around around those teams and ensure that everybody's doing their job, capturing the data and the and the intel. So we're building what really matters and we're we're prioritizing which will what will have the most impact, you know, in the in the next quarter. And yeah. you cannot do that if you're a 20 people company. It's if you're a 20 people company, basically you as a founder has to be that person and and had all that knowledge in your brain. So that's why right. also you have to you have to limit the amount of knowledge that you keep in your brain because otherwise you're going to overwhelm yourself. Yeah. So what you want to solve has to be focused and limited to a few things and not like not the level of complexity that my product is solving today because I can only do that with the with the with the people and the budget and the tools that I have today, which are very expensive and difficult to put in place. Right, right. So Harvester um, is a SaaS. How do you yeah. spell it? Or what's the URL? I just searched for it. And uh, it's, it's like harvest, like you harvest, like a crop, and uh, T-R, not T-E-R, T-R. God, we'll definitely include that in the show notes. Well, I mean, I can just tell that you're incredibly talented, incredibly smart. I'm, uh, I'm excited to learn uh, from you and to learn more about you. But um, let's talk about Agora Pulse a little bit. I'm curious just to like, like, take me back to the beginning. Like, where did the idea come from? Where did the inspiration come from? Like, what what's your your startup story? Yeah, so my, the startup story goes back 23 years ago. Wow. Uh, it's when I was a, a business lawyer doing M&A and decided that I wanted to become an, a tech entrepreneur. And it was in July of 2000. So we started our first tech business with my co-founder and CTO. Then uh, in July of, of 2000, we built the first piece of software that we brought to the market in February of 2001. As you may or may not know, in March of 2001, the internet bubble burst. It exploded and and, and then everything was in, in, in pieces back then. Yeah, and it was an amazing time to launch a business. Obviously, I had to go back to work for the law firm for a couple of years and then quit again uh, in 2004 and um, uh, try to um, pivot that initial business that we had that was a build your own social network type of business. So it was a SaaS technology allowing people to build their communities online. Mm -hmm. uh, wrong country, wrong timing, everything wrong on that. And took, it took until 2000 nine to you know fighting pivoting that into a b2b play there was a b2c play in the, in the early days like facebook you would argue and yeah. trying to sell it as a white label technology to b2b companies and then you know building an agency around it because we couldn't sell the, the the technology without you know consulting and and and, and service around it so I'll do that and end up to a lot of lot of service and and very little tech and didn't like that uh, got a chance to build um, uh, through the agency work uh, Facebook contests in 2009 and 10 a lot and uh, didn't enjoy the building part that the Facebook you know Facebook be was becoming was bubbling in 2008 and 2009 it was becoming oh, yeah. something fan pages were introduced and 
something was happening at that time around social networks and businesses paying attention to them, which yeah. is something we were going after. We we had been going after for 10 years and couldn't get because nobody cared. And suddenly yeah. they cared. And if, oh, that is our time. That is our moment. You know, people are going to understand what we do in our, our, our create your own social network claim would finally make sense. Except that nobody cared and they wanted to just go more, get more fans on Facebook. Yeah. And so we started building those contests and promotions on Facebook and, and didn't like the service uh, uh, part behind it. And so a company in the US called Wildfire, it was basically industrialized those contests and promotion into a platform. Mm -hmm. And uh, you could buy, you could build your own Facebook contest for 99 a month. And um, we thought, we saw that, we thought, oh, that's amazing. That's what we want. So we took all the contests and promotion that we had built bespoke for customer, built them into a platform. And Agorapulse was born. It was basically when it launched in August of 2011, a Facebook contest and promotion, you know, photo contest, sweepstakes, quizzes, uh, video contest, you know, all, all yeah. sorts of all sorts of games you can run online on a Facebook page where you know, like my page to win something. That's that right. was the old rage between 2011 and 2013. Yeah. And, it was Facebook only. There was an embryo of measuring and responding and publishing, but it was very, very basic. That business was not great because the churn was high. People were canceling their plan, you know, very, very at a very, very high rate. People were not sticking with the, the product and the business. And we quickly realized that we're not going to create a thriving business if we keep building that business. So we decided that we had to pivot to something else. We looked around. We said, okay, who is doing something that is selling to the kind of customers who come to us? That would be a tool that they're using every day and not a month per year, yeah. which was contests and promotions. And, and at the time, uh, Hootsuite was already out there. It was not what it is today, but it was out there. Buffer was out there as well because they launched mm -hmm. year before us. And we saw that and said, that's what we need to do. And, you know, Sprout was very basic. It, we, they launched at the same time we launched, I think, at the time. But uh, we saw that emergence of tools that help you manage your social presence. And we thought, hey, they are selling to the same people we're selling to, but they're selling them something that they, have, they, they can use every day and not just temporarily uh, for a one-shot thing. That's what we need to do. Since we were a bootstrap business, I, we didn't raise money. It took us a long time to add Twitter and then LinkedIn and then Instagram and then do the publishing ride and then do the inbox and the reports ride. Like, it, I would argue it took us a decade to do all of that, right? Yeah. But uh, eventually, piece by piece, it, it became better and better. And um, step by step, the growth you know, took, a, took a boost. Every time we did, now we have a decent publishing. Woo, growth, you know, growth starting to grow again. And yeah. now we have an amazing monitoring and like every single time we nailed one of the key components of social media management, our growth um, kept going up. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. That's the story. So when I'm asked this question, what was the vision? I usually say I had no vision. I was trying to survive. I had a business that was not, yeah. that was not doing amazing. Uh, I, ha I, I had been at it. It's being trying to build a, a decent business for more than 10 years. And uh, I was paying myself like almost minimum wage, and I had to, I had to fry. Like I had no choice. I had to, I had to succeed at something at one point, and yeah. I, that kept pushing me to try. Okay, how do you succeed? You solve a problem for someone who needs it, and there are suffic sufficiently high number of those someone's out there, so the yeah. market is big enough, and the pain is 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 real enough, so that they're going to buy your product and and going to help you get a revenue from it. So and you can live out of it. That was. As basic uh, survival need as that. <laughs> wow. So, I mean, you hear stories a lot of times of founders not having success immediately, uh, but you guys went through a long period of time. It sounds like 10 years roughly yep. of, you know, more or less floundering around and, and doing things that you really didn't want to do. And it sounds like lacking real product market fit. How did you stick with it for so long? I mean, that's yeah. like, why did you not go back and be a lawyer after year two or three or four? That's well, that's several things. There's so much to unpack here. Uh, I'm going to try to stay uh, short. <laughs> the first thing I would say is that it's never it when I when I say it like that, it feels like for ten years nothing happened and you you were failing and boom, no. A lot of changes, a lot of pivot. You tried a lot of things. Every time you try a new thing. 
you have a new hope. Every time you have a new hope, you add a new year to the to the counter of yeah. you're 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 trying to succeed at something, right? Uh, it's not linear. Like there are ups and downs and and bips in the road and stuff like that. So definitely the 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 model of affinities that was the business before Agorapulse it it pivoted twice. So like there were three moments, and each of those moments were a new hope for something that could be really big and eventually didn't become big. Yeah. There's that. And then for a long, long time as well, I was working for the business uh, three days a week, i.e. Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And Mm -hmm. I was having, I was running someone else's business uh, four days a week, Monday through Thursday, just to make a living. So for three or four years, I was managing someone else's company for four days a week and making a, making revenue out of that and and doing you know accounting and finance and support and everything for affinities in the evening and and on weekends and on one mm-hmm. and one day full day a week. And my co-founder was working full time building the product. We would push just the two of us, so that was as simple as that. So yeah. it was not as it was not as as simple as I said it, but it was definitely me trying me and him trying to build something for a long long time and not succeeding at it. I. So that was that was for affinities. I think there's definitely an ego thing. You don't want to say I failed and go back to whatever. I did yeah. it in, in 2001. I went back to my law firm. So I let, quit the law firm in 2000 and then launched. And a year after, I had all my savings were gone and I had to I had to get a job. And my first, the first thing I did was go back to my ex employer and say, "Please, can you take me back?" <laughs> and I think he liked me, so he took me back. Yeah. Um, but then after I, I quit again, I could not go to the same law firm. Like my ego couldn't have taken it. And I, at one point, I I always had the hope that like something's going to work. You know, something's going to happen eventually. Um, I don't know. I think entrepreneurs are a bit crazy. They have a hope for something, even if there's no reason to hope for anything. I, I think that's what makes us <laughs> a bit crazy and special at the same time and, and able to take on all that level of risk and and pressure like like other people could not take because it feels so freaking risky yeah um, risky meaning your chance of success are so small in reality that it feels like why are you doing it you have one chance out of 50 to be successful and make millions why are you doing it <laughs> yeah i don't know i like that one chance <laughs> yeah. take it. so was there a specific moment or year or like a specific time that you can remember where you really uh you found the product market fit and you gained traction and you were super excited and you were like wow this is working like like it's time to scale this do you remember that moment yeah it that that moment happened when we broke even basically in the year the year that followed so we broke even in november of 2015 uh, at 100,000 euros of mr of monthly recurring revenue mm-hmm. And uh, I remember that month very well because I it was in, in beginning of November and I decided to book a rent a house for Christmas for three weeks on the beach in in Brazil to go kite with my son and my yeah. wife. <laughs> so that was my gift for you did it, my my friend. You broke even, um, and I remember it well. And then from that point forward, we we grew 150 percent the following year. So we moved from 100k to 250k a, a month in one year. And um, uh, the two things there's it's 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 a combination of uh, lots of things that makes you get to some level of success at some point. Uh, but the two the two main things are are the following. The number one thing is that when the product was not good enough and not ready, I still built the foundation to get the traffic and the recognition and and the 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 mentions and the share of voice that I would need once the product is ready. So mm-hmm. I build, I did the SEO, I build all the content to drive traffic to the website for the right keywords. I build the right relationships with the right bloggers and the right influencers at a time where my product was, was a piece of crap and I knew it, but I anticipated that once the product will be good enough, if I have not done all the work that will create the, um, the uh, um, the voice amplifier for me to be able to tell the world, oh, now the product is good enough. Come to me and use it. If I had not built the system and and 
in the, the, the channels and the source of traffic for that to happen when the product is ready, then what's going to happen? We build a product silently in our garage, nobody knowing we build anything. And, and once the product is out there, we open the garage door and yell to the neighborhood, but there are only two neighbors around and nobody cares. Yeah. That's what founders do too much of. They, they work, 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 work on the product and they don't prepare for when the product is ready. Um, to to give that new product that is now amazing the visibility it deserves and that's that's, yeah. that, that's I think that's the number one thing that made us uh, thrive in 2015 and 16. It's because of all the work I've done in 11, 12, 13, and 14 to create the framework for visibility to to allow for us to allow us to be visible when we are ready for prime time. Yeah, and I think that's, so smart. that's and it's a very hard thing to do because you're basically. You're basically working to promote something that's not there yet. So right. it's very not it's not motivating because you know it's not there. You know the product is crappy and 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 buggy and, not, and it's missing. All everything's missing. Yeah. Uh, but you still and you know it's going to be ready in 18 months, 24 months. That feels like more fucking ever in the future. So it's really, really hard to have the motivation to write the piece of content that is speaking about talking about that thing and attracting the, the traffic. That is that's interested about that thing that you will have in two years. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's very difficult. To do, but you have to do that basically. If that if that's your trajectory and your bootstrap, which was the case for us, so you don't you cannot spend a one million dollar on Facebook ads just to make the world know faster about what you do. You have to to anticipate your free, your future state. Yeah. Uh, so that was one, and the second thing is do something much better than everybody else. So you have a story to tell. And that one thing we did in 2014 was we were the first software, social media management software to invent the social media inbox. So instead of giving you a lot of columns, we have a lot of content in each column, like one column for DMs for that Twitter account, one column for mention or that other Twitter account, one column for DMs or that Facebook page, and so on and so forth. If you have dozens and dozens of them, you have hundreds of columns. That's how social media was managed in 2013 and 12. So yeah. in 2014, we invented, oh, you, you just need one inbox that looks like your Gmail inbox and everything goes in there. And that's, that's we were the first piece of software doing social media, applying the, the email logic to incoming social media content. And that, mm-hmm. was, that, that changed our world because now suddenly we were doing something much, much better than everybody else. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, makes one need. that makes a ton of sense. So build the audience first before the product is ready necessarily. I think that's yeah. something that a lot of founders struggle with. And it sounds like it sounds like your biggest marketing wins from the early days came from SEO. Yeah. SEO and content for sure. So I SEO I you know content. probably couldn't be done the same in 2024 as I did it in 2011, 2012. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure there are still pockets of opportunities if you're really niche and you go really deep. Yeah, definitely. Uh, but back then, it was it was much more open and much the, the lens of opportunity was bigger. If you were doing, if you were following the exact same playbook I followed in 2012, in 2024, in my industry, you're doomed. It's not, it's, it's too it's too late. It's all it's overcrowded already. Yeah. Uh, but in your industry, whatever your industry you are in, maybe there is still opportunities there. It depends, but definitely for us, that was, uh, and it's evergreen. It keeps, it keeps giving, uh, that's, yep. that's a quite in, in when you're starting up, it's quite an efficient uh, growth engine. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and what was your playbook back then? Was it basically keyword research, publish blog posts, yep. build links, keyword research, public blog posts, um, seize opportunities in the news. I remember one of our competitor one day changed their pricing and that was i was doing that all the time they changed their pricing at like 4 p.m and then uh a war happened on twitter against them oh they changed the pricing it's it's insane it's crazy i went home that day i perfectly remember in my kitchen with my laptop it was 9 p.m and i said hmm i'm quite tired but i'm pretty sure if i write a blog post now about them changing their pricing and i call the blog post alternative to them and I start listening, hey, they're just in their pricing, blah, 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 blah. This is where you can find. This is this is why it's not a good thing for you. And this is these are all the alternatives that you can use. And then I start, and then I started to go on Twitter and say, Hey, I I hear you, you're pissed about X changing their pricing. Here's a blog post that tells you about alternative. Then that blog post went viral very quickly because it was all the rage on Twitter. 
and I was it was like it was probably 11 p.m. or midnight in Paris that all these people were in the U.S. so they were still up and talking about that pricing change they were pissed about and I think two days later that my blog post ranked number one for their brand for their brand name not for alternative to X but just for X <laughs> it was crazy wow so I, I was doing that all the time like seizing opportunities and, and say oh there's something here if I go very very fast and I'm the first one uh, I'm going to beat everybody else to it, and I'm going to be the number one post. And uh, I, we like, yeah, the alternative to X. We, I wrote a couple of those, and uh, they were number one on the on the brand search for that competitor. Trust me, they hated wow. me for that. <laughs> I'm sure they did. Yeah, they probably had entire strategy meetings just about you guys. How do you make them go down? And they even we eventually went down, but it took it took like ten years. Yeah, right. Awesome, man. So um, that could still work, like newsjacking. Yeah. That still oh. works today. Yeah, it can still uh, work. So let's flash forward to today. Uh, what's really driving your guys' uh, revenue and growth engines from a marketing perspective? Is it still mostly organic? It's a great question. Uh, it's a great question because yes and no. Yes, organic is still driving most of our traffic. Uh, but no, because it's not. It, it it reached a tipping point that we're not going to be able to break. Like we have kind of a glass uh, ceiling on our head. Um, mm -hmm. We cannot go beyond the numbers we are currently getting from that growth engine, and we have to go beyond that because we have to grow and to keep growing. And you know, adding thirty percent of growth or twenty percent of growth year over year on five million is not the same thing as adding twenty percent on ten and then twenty and then forty and. That. Right. So yeah, you have to keep changing your gears, and you have to keep changing the scale of how what you do and how you do it. Yeah, and, and organic is great, and it's amazing for early days. It's amazing for bootstrap company because we're bootstrap; we never raise funding. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing for companies that are targeting small small businesses that are quick to make a decision for ninety nine bucks a month, forty nine bucks a month. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah, yeah, looks good. Subscribe. We'll see how that goes. Um, but those business also churn at a higher rate. And uh, if you have, they can help you go from zero to one, two, three, four, five million pretty, pretty well, pretty quickly. But if you have to go from 20 to 50 millions, then it's a different story because you have to have so many of them that uh, yeah. the, the scale at which you have to attract new business is completely changing. And we had to change our perspective on our growth engine and, 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 and move from a pure inbound SMB um, self-serve, um, come to my website, sign up for a free trial and put your credit card and become a customer type of growth engine mm -hmm. to an engine that's like, okay, uh, we need customer who are in North America and Western Europe, especially France, uh, Germany, and the UK who are in retail. I have at least 50 different locations, 500 employees and uh, uh, a 10 people marketing team with at least one person in charge of social. That's mm -hmm. a very, very specific target versus let's put a blog post out there about alternative to X competitor. Yeah, we, right. we, we're just going to work great, but it's going to bring you all sorts of people, most of them not being the type of customer you, you want to have because they're they're not going to be ideal for you, i.e. the problem you solve for them is not going to be big enough. And uh, the, the, the price you're selling it for is going to be too big for them, even though it's, it's a very small price for you based on how yeah. much money you spend to build the, the product and so on and so forth. So as you grow and as you get to places where you're not, you're not your task now is not to go from zero to 10 million. Your task is, is to go from 20 million to 50 million and maybe 100 million at some point. The type of customer you need to attract become different. They evolve over time. Yeah. And you cannot go after those larger customer by doing a blog post at midnight in your kitchen, um, mentioning uh, your pricing change of your competitor. You have yeah. to have a, a, um, uh, a repeatable and scalable process to crank, to crank, crank, crank more and more and more of those and bring them to you instead of putting content out there that maybe they will see and maybe right. they will click on it and maybe they'll end up on your website. No, no, there's no, you can't work. We can't live with maybes. You need X number of retail company, more than 500 people, 50 locations in Western in Western Europe and North America. Yeah. Come to your online event or your offline event every month and, and convert X percent of that to uh, discovery calls, which Y percent will convert to a demo, which Z percent will convert to a customer with an average amount of probably three times as much as what you what you 
or, or maybe 10 times as much as what you were selling your product before in, in a right. self-serve inbound manner. So it's a completely different growth engine and it's a big challenge. Uh, it's really, really difficult. It's difficult for the founder because you've never done it. Usually it's something new. You're discovering how it works and um, uh, you have to learn a lot. You have to open your minds and your ears and go talk to people who've done it before you and learn from them. And yeah. sometimes you have to change your teams because they're not capable of making that shift. Yeah. And they don't have that founder mentality of, okay, I, there's something I don't know. I have to go and learn it. You know, I keep telling people and I tell it to myself as well. You don't know what you don't know. Right. You don't know what your blind spots are because you don't know them because, because you look in the mirror and there's nothing in there. So you can't know, but well, there's a car, but it, it's invisible, right? Cause it's in your blind spot. Yeah. And you need someone who sit in the back and turn the, Hey, there's someone here. Don't, don't change lane right now. And you need the same thing as a founder or as a professional in general, who can you surround yourself with? So you, you have as few blind spots as possible. Yeah. And you have as few, a, a few things as possible that you don't know. That's going to be a blocker to your business, to your growth, to, to the growth of your business. Yeah. So it sounds like in the example, like with retail 50 plus locations, you're talking about outbound, basically, like outbound yeah. one prospecting. Yeah, outbound. So outbound can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Um, and, and even internally, we have a lot of arguments about what outbound means. Uh, for me, you can do outbound marketing and outbound sales. Um, and what that means is instead of putting stuff out there and hoping for them to come to you, which would inbound would be, you you're basically going to them and say hey are you interested by x yes i am oh i have x for you come and check it out like x would be a webinar about a problem they're having and how you could solve it and it could be an online event where they can learn from peers and they can learn from other companies that they admire and they respect like whatever it's you going to them and bringing them into your world your world not necessarily being your product but being the how you see the world, how you solve for the problem that, that matter for them. And you bring them to you instead of putting that stuff out there and hoping they see it. That See that for me, that's yeah. the main difference. So you can do outbound marketing in a way that you're doing, your marketing is targeted at getting those, that guy and that girl and that lady over there work, working for the company, the type of company you want to attract and making them notice you because you are doing, you are actively going after them. So, so they notice you instead of, I put that blog post. I hope they search for that, hopefully, in the next 24 months. You know what I mean? That's right, the difference. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just gave me a brilliant idea. So, and it's kind of a merging of the two, but let's say that you're targeting Lululemon, whatever the, whatever the retailer is. I know they have many more than 50 locations, but hmm. uh, like tear down like pieces. Like pro, like here's Lululemon's uh, social strategy and what they're doing right and wrong, mm. or even like comparing three, like comparing three retailers' strategies against each other. Mm. And so, like, if you had a piece of content like that, yeah, they would they would jump at you. The others, right. them, Lululemon probably would. Hey, yeah, show me, show me. I want to know how I'm, how I'm comparing, and everybody who is looking at them with respect with with a look of respect oh these guys are amazing they would want to know how they do things because they're probably doing something right there and everybody who's competing with them would probably also want so like it's that's that's exactly so that's that's what i keep telling my content person this is exactly what you need to do uh, her name is veronica create the content that's going to make everybody in that space want to pay for that content and give yeah. it to them for free. Give it to them for free. But create the content. Is oh, I'd pay for that. It looks amazing. I want to know how, what you learn by doing this research. Yeah. So, and and then you collaborate very very uh, closely with the, the the SDRs and the Dimension team and the AEs and say, okay, we created that piece of content. With that piece of content, you're going to get their attention because they are going to be like, oh yeah, please send it to me. Hello, Madam X, uh, VP of Marketing at Retail Y. We yeah. did that study of Lululemon versus this, this versus that, and how they won. And are you interested? Do you want me to send it to you? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Please send it to me. And that so that's how you look at content versus can we go for the keyword? Uh, what to post on TikTok on Sunday? It, you know, that's a completely different way of creating content. 
Yeah, you would probably get like 20% response rates on that. Probably. On like tear down like piece. Mm. Cool. That that could work for almost any business, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There, there's another one that could work as well, is you go to Lululemon's uh, social media manager and you interview her uh, in a podcast. Mm. That's hey, I interviewed Lululemon, social media manager, and she unpacked everything, all the challenges that she's had and how she's done things and how she's, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, went over obstacles and actually got success and how she's measuring success and how she's presenting it to her boss. Would you like to hear about her interview? <laughs> if you're a yeah. social media manager in, in something that looks like Lululemon and you respect the brand and so on and so forth, same thing. They're going to say, hey, hey please, yeah, send it my way. I'm, I'm interested. And then, of, of course, you do you do a, a blog post about it. You do snippets of videos that you share on social, left and right. And 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 you, you make hundreds of pieces of content from that one piece of content. So that's another way you can do that. It's probably more a lazy way. Because it's not the the teardown is great, but that's a lot of work, and you need yeah. to have a super duper expert in your team who's able to extract that and 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 put that into uh, a piece of content that's actually articulated and makes sense and is is unpacking something that's wow and that's not easy to do, right? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. The interview, you don't have to be smart. You don't have to be an expert. <laughs> you just right. know, you just have to know how to ask the right questions. So it's, yeah. it's uh, it would be another another ID if you are not yeah. uh, equipped to do the first one right. Yeah, with teardowns, you might be able to make it a little bit uh, easier if it were really well structured. Yeah. Like, let's say that there's uh, you know certain parameters that you're looking at, like posting frequency. Yeah, I was thinking about that response, yeah. like the yeah. quality of response, the timeliness of response, the yeah. voice of the response. Um, no, I agree. I agree. It is. It yeah, it's harder than doing an interview. But yeah, it's, it's much. It's not much, impossible. Yeah, 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 much harder. When you're doing the interview, it's like, you know, Lulu is basically creating the content for you. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. why it's a lazy, it's a, one of my friends called that the lazy lead generation tactic. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> well, Emmerich, this has been awesome. I want to be sensitive to your time. We could go on probably for like two more hours. I have so many other questions for you, but, um, but I know that we're, we're approaching time here. Let me ask you just one last question is, uh, what is on your horizon? Like we're, as we're recording this, we're just a couple days away from 2024. Like, what's what are the uh, you know top three priorities for you guys from a marketing uh, perspective in 2024? From a marketing perspective, um, or maybe there's just one big thing that's number one, two, and yeah, three. yeah. There, are, I mean, there there are things that we have on the product. Uh, side of things so on the product side of things i'm very excited about our uh, advocacy feature because um I, I, as we mentioned proving the impact the business impact of social media is my big vision is what i want to bring to the world is it's our unique approach to the the problem we solve like we don't solve the chaos of social media by making by only making social media easier to manage and respond to and publish to and so on and measure uh, which you know all of our competition could claim the same but we're doing it with the intent of helping you prove the value of what you do. And that's what our social media ROI feature uh, that mm -hmm. we released a year ago was, was thought for. Uh, and then we realized it's, it's actually quite hard. It's connected to Google Analytics and gives you conversion and revenue that, that you get from organic social. Mm -hmm. And we realized that for most customers, it's hard to do on your own. You're the social media manager or the marketer, and you're trying to get those revenue and conversion just with you and your profile. And in most instances, the impact we you were able to create was not that amazing. And it was, it was disappointing. And we're with this advocacy tool, which basically helps you as the, the, the marketing leader or the social media leader to leverage all your team members or all your influencers to, hey, we have this amazing piece of content. It's absolutely, we have this teardown of Lululemon, all your employees. I would appreciate if you could share that on your LinkedIn and see you know, if you're in your network, there would be people interested by that. And then suddenly, instead of just being you with your own brand profiles to uh, share it with and to um, um, spread the love about it, you suddenly have dozens or hundreds of people 
who are you know potentially able to share it and you to measure the return on that like uh, how many how much traffic did i get from those shares how many shares did i get from them how much traffic did i get how many conversion did i get how many leads did i get so i'm excited about that because it's an amplifier to something i already believe i want to solve which is proving that social media actually works as a marketing That's channel so powerful i mean think about mm-hmm. a large company mm-hmm. like let's say you have a thousand employees if you can get 10 percent of them to to reshare and amplify it's gonna massively increase reach like ridiculous that's awesome that's a really yeah and obviously those software they already exist but we approach it the same way we approach or how we build agora pulse it's a very lean and and simple advocacy tool it's already included it's not another product that you have to pay a thousand dollar for you have you can test it for free um uh, you can have 10 employees or 10 advocates in it without paying zero uh, i think we we went for I forgot like 99 49 for 50 like i don't know the price per employee but it's it's very very affordable so i mean any small and medium business can actually try it and see if it works for them and uh, and it's very it, it's again a very lean and simple way to do it versus a bloated. The problem with all the advocacy stuff we've seen outside there, they become a, 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 a huge tool of their own. We didn't want that. We just wanted for the marketer or the social media person to build a team of people who are eager to help spread the word and yeah. have a super simple system for them to let them know via email that the word is ready to be spread and um, mm-hmm. uh, use AI to create different variation of the content, how it can be shared, and then um, uh, track what, what happens after they shared with our unique patent-pending technology of you know return on investment tracking. Yeah. And uh, that's, a, again, it's a multiplier. It has a multiplier effect, and it's it, it will be in the product, like I think, next week without you know needing to add anything or pay for an add-on or talk to another salesperson so i'm excited about that awesome. on the on the product side and the potential for our vision to become more and more of a reality you know helping people prove the value of what they do on social and on the marketing side um our, our on the marketing side our big challenge is uh we've never really done except for agencies because agencies were a big um icp ideal customer profile for us for a long time still is um but except for agencies for whom we build specific content and online events and that kind of stuff we've never really gone um we never really verticalized our marketing uh and we're, we're starting to do that and that's that's one of the challenges that we need to we need to know like how how do we be more specific for a retail vertical or hospitality vertical or a B2B vertical, like depending on the ICPs that we, we were going to go after. Yeah. And uh, that's one of our marketing challenge for sure. And yeah. And how, how we build list, another marketing challenge, how we go after the list, how we measure our penetration in the list, like how many of those organizations that we have identified that are our ideal customer profile engage with our content, engage with our events, engage with our marketing assets came back to us, raised their hand, asked for a demo or asked for more info. And and how many of them got in front of an AE and how many of them eventually became customers and, and tried to have a, a more outbound approach of how we do marketing it is one of the big challenges we're still tackling or we're still fighting to get to. It's not done yet for sure. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, that changes too, you know, outbound changes as, as time goes on, people become sort of blind to certain things that used to work in 2018, like really don't oh, work yeah. anymore. Mm-hmm. They just get overplayed. Yep. Emmerich, this has been awesome. Do you have a couple more minutes or do you have to jump right now? Yep. You do? Yep. Um, I want to get one other snippet from you just for folks that like might not be that familiar with Agora Pulse. Um, like I know you have a lot of competitors, right? There's like the hoot suites of the world. There's the, uh, what do you call the other one? Sprout. Yeah. I know that you're winning customers from them. Like when you win customers from a hoot suite or a sprout, like what are the reasons that they're choosing you? Yeah. So the, 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 the reasons are different depending on whether it's coming from sprout or whether it's coming from Hootsuite. From Hootsuite, the reason they're choosing us is because Hootsuite is a legacy player and their their software is is legacy-like. It looks like a legacy software. So it's yeah. almost like you're choosing between Windows 95 and Mac OS, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. whatever, the latest one. 
there's one that yeah it works but it's a bit clunky and it's not great and uh, you know uh, it feels like 10 years ago but it actually is 10 years ago yeah uh, us which is very lean and modern and, and and really fun to use uh and then that's really feedback we get all the time we love using your software which is not feedback you'll get from a hootsuite user uh so with hootsuite that's the main reason there's also there's also a support like they, the 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 pro, the support they provide is is really not great. When you go on G two, their their rating on support is very low. High is the ours is the top is the best is the best support even even across you know Buffer or Sprout. We have we're ranking rank, ranking number one for support. So and at some point when people have issues and nobody is answering them for twenty four hours or forty eight hours, you know people people in twenty twenty four it's hard it's hard to swallow. It's a hard how hard pill to swallow so yeah. for Hootsuite those are the two main reasons um the main reason for Sprout is uh usually um linked to how they're they've increased their price and because they're going after a market that's more and more and more enterprise and it makes sense you know they're at 330 40 million dollars of annual recurring revenue we're at 23 like so yeah. our scale of things for us getting a, new, a customer at 10k is amazing. We love it. We get them, uh, but love more of them. But when we have a 10, 12k a year customer, we're really, really thrilled. For them, it's barely enough now. Now they right. need to get the 40k, the 50k a uh, year, a year customer. Yeah, and and so uh, that makes all the customers that are below a certain amount less and less poor to them, and we're still happy to get customers like that the 500 a month customer for us it's still a good size customer but for them it's become too small to sustain the growth that they need to sustain so right. they raised their price quite significantly and now they're raising their price on their customer base and some of them are like yeah that's too much so they look around it's it's it's, it's a push basically it's not a pull it's a push on their on their on their side they yeah. look around and they like what we do and then obviously uh, there are things that we do that they don't do and for those things people are going to prefer us and but the other way around is true. There are things that they do that we don't know. And for those things, people are going to prefer going to Sprout. So Sprout is really going to be a matter of positioning. And 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 with that positioning goes the price. And for some people, I don't want to pay for all these things I'm not using. Right. You're, you're more affordable and you have all the stuff that I need. So those those are the ones that we, we eventually capture from them. That makes sense. That makes sense. So uh, what is the real sweet spot uh, clients or who are the real sweet spot icps it sounds like multi-location retail yeah. agencies are there any others that you like a lot yeah multi multi-location restaurants uh governments we have a ton of cities and states and um uh, we have the french army we used to have the u.s army as a customer i don't think really? they're a customer anymore yeah self-serve that was funny um uh, we have a lot of um uh, universities higher ed is also big um yeah so the problem with that it's a bit all over the place so when we do our outbound motion we have to pick the ones that pay pay the highest pay um mostly annually and not monthly and so like that's how we we choose who we who, what vertical what type of customer we're going after yeah but uh, th those are yeah those are the majority of customers we have um yeah and we have some gaming customer like but any any customer, any business who has an active presence on social is going to be a good customer for us because the level of complexity and shit load that they have to deal with in terms of number of comments and posts and it's all over the place. And so gaming is a good candidate for that because people are very excited about their games and they have usually a couple of social profiles per game. They have many, many, many games. So it's it creates a whole chaos of um uh social that they have to maintain so that's one example and any business that fit that profile is going to be an ideal customer for us but unfortunately there's not you know like gaming is a big industry but if i was only doing social media for gaming i probably wouldn't, wouldn't be where i am today because i would be way too small so i couldn't build what i'm building today so you have to appeal to a lot of types of businesses but still go after the largest ones like the largest groups and the ones you mentioned are the largest like uh, agencies 30% of our customers, I think. And uh, retail, multi-location, multi-location also being restaurants, food and beverage or hospitality. Those are, those are, um, they, they are great customers. They're a great fit for us because uh, we we solve a big enough problem for them. So they're okay to pay what is 
a reasonable price to pay based on the you know, whatever. How many developers do I have now? 50 or 55 who are all costing an arm and a leg and very smart people, yeah. but very expensive. In order to feed those teams, you know, we we have to um, we have to add customers that are paying more than uh, uh, 49 a month. <laughs> right. I hear you, man. Yeah. Well, this has been awesome, Emmerich. I really, really appreciate it. It sounds like you guys are really uh, doing amazing. You're occupying. Um, uh, you have a solid position in the market. Like I've seen your reviews and your rankings on G2. So I'm confident that you guys are going to continue growing and hopefully have a great 2024. And I really enjoyed this interview. This was awesome, man. Thank you. That was good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I enjoyed you. Cool. So uh, for everybody listening, if you enjoyed this or if you learned anything, we'd really appreciate uh, if you share this with a friend or drop us a five-star review anywhere you get your pods. Uh, Emmerich, any parting words or for people that would like to learn more about you and um, and Agora Pulse, like where would you direct them? Uh, they, sh they should go on LinkedIn and, and find me on LinkedIn, E-M-E-R-I-C-A-R-N-O-U-L-T. And uh, I'm always happy to accept new invitations on LinkedIn when there is a note that tells me, hey, I heard you at, in that podcast or I saw you at that conference or whatever is the context so I can accept because I receive a lot of invitation that I'm not going to accept if I don't know who they are. <laughs> but yeah. if I know that you're coming to me because you you have questions or you're interested by learning more about something that I shared, I'm more than happy to accept the invitation. So that's uh, that's the best way to get a hold of me. Love it. Love it. All right. So include a note on the invite and LinkedIn noted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> cool. Well, that was another exciting episode of Revenue Driven CMO. Emmerich, stay on the line just one sec. We'll wrap up. But for everybody else, we'll see you next time. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us here today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at revenuedrivencmo.com. That's revenuedrivencmo.com. And hey, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, Web Mechanics will do 10 to 20 hours of work for you for free. Literally no sales calls, no BS. Just give them a problem and they will put a team to work for you for free for 10 to 20 hours. Even if you're already a client, if you're struggling with demand gen, lead gen, SEO, SEM, Google ads, LinkedIn ads, conversion optimization, if you can't get Facebook or meta ads to work for the life of you, or you can't figure out attribution, Web Mechanics will take a good hard look at whatever problem you give them, whatever programs you put in front of them, and they will give you an objective, informed opinion, plus some advice from 10 to 20 hours of senior level attention. And that's just because you're a listener of this podcast. So I would suggest take them up on this offer. It's ridiculous. Go to revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, fill out the two minute form and you will not regret it. Literally zero downside, unlimited potential for growth. So do yourself a favor, revenuedrivencmo.com slash free, no hyphens, no punctuations. You will be happy about that decision. <laughs>